Welcome to Everyday Strong, the podcast that teaches parents, teachers, and other caring adults how their everyday loving actions can help their teens cope with anxiety and depression. Hi, and welcome to the Everyday Strong podcast. My name is Eliza, and today I'm excited to welcome a guest onto our show that has a really unique background compared to some of the other guests that we've previously had on. Um, Davi Vitella is a child life specialist in palliative care at the Primary Children's Hospital here in Utah. And we're going to be asking her a little bit about what she does and how she sees chronic illness affecting the mental health of the kids that she works with. Um, This is a really special topic for me because I have a sister with a congenital heart defect. And I've really seen how chronic illness plays a role in her life and her mental health and some of the struggles that she's had with schooling. Um, and just life in general and how she's had to overcome those things. So Davi, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Um, Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what child life specialists do? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, So child life specialists serve kind of this, I I think it's wonderful, um, a purpose of making a child's experience in the hospital better. And what does that mean? Well, it's kind of to make it less scary, to make it less scary through helping them understand, helping them cope. Uh, A lot of times I joke with the kids that they're actually my boss. And so what we do is we use play in this therapeutic way to support children. So it could be teaching about a diagnosis. If a kiddo gets some sort of diagnosis, then we've been trained to talk to them in in a developmentally appropriate way to explain Mm -hmm. that diagnosis to them. So we can kind of like scale it up or down based on the developmental needs of the child. Um, We also use play, like we'll play with medical equipment. If a child is struggling because maybe they have to get an IV or maybe they have to get their blood, like their blood, well, that's an IV, but maybe they have to get something Mm -hmm. else done or stitches or an arm or a bone set. Um, We'll use like tools and talk them through that and we'll show them like we'll actually give a buddy doll is what we call like the dolls we use. We'll give a little doll a real IV and talk the child through each of those steps. So then maybe the IV is less scary. Um, And we kind of do that with any of the procedures that a child may go through. So it's kind of teaching them about it and helping them know and being honest with them, right? Like getting an IV, the poke does kind of pinch. And yeah, so yeah. We're not saying this isn't a big deal. You know, we're saying we're being honest with them. Um, and then again, it can look so different. It's teaching them healthy coping skills. If a child mm-hmm. is inpatient a lot, teaching them, you know, how, like trying to give them tools to express their emotions in a healthy way. And then if a child is going to get a procedure, and I'll just use an IV again, since that's what I seem to be using, um, we'll make a plan with them. Like, you're really nervous about this. Let's make a plan to get you through this hard thing. So we could use distraction. We could use um, some children are really want to see everything. So sometimes, you know, we'll just walk them through the steps as they're happening if they're really curious and just want to watch it happen. And so it's kind of, Depending on the situation, it's talking to parents to make a game plan. It's talking to the child. Or sometimes we just go into the room and they're like, here we are. Let's assess on the on the spot and try to figure out what this child needs right now if there's not time to do some of that like pre-planning stuff. So it's really just supporting children through their experience. And like I said, a lot of times we use play to help them do that. They play with medical equipment. 
or just play with normal toys to feel like a normal kid. Um, so yeah, so that's like, it's, it's kind of a very broad field of what we can do at a hospital. So it's sort of sometimes hard to explain quickly, but I think that's, that's an okay summary. (laughs) Yeah. And immediately, even though we're speaking about kids that are hospitalized, whether inpatient or outpatient, like I can definitely see how some of, you know, the things, the techniques that you're using to help calm uh, children and manage their emotions totally still apply, you know, outside of a hospital setting with any child, regardless of the stressful experience they're having. So even though this episode is probably more specific to parents who have a child in that situation uh, with chronic illness or hospitalization, like I still think all parents can maybe, you know, take something from this conversation about helping kids deal with stress. Yes course. So I'm curious, like just to get a little bit more specific, um, the kids that you're working with, like what kind of challenges are they facing? Like why are they in the hospital? So my specific population, uh, I, like you mentioned earlier, I'm on the palliative care team. So the specific population of children I work with, they tend to have a chronic or a complex or a life-limiting illness. Um, and so I work... I kind of have a broad range of kiddos. I could be supporting families with infants in the NICU, which is where the neonatal intensive care unit, I could be working with um, older patients who have relapsed um, and have cancer again. I have a broad scope of kids that are, you know, dealing with um, pretty some pretty heavy stuff um, sometimes. So that's kind of the patient population that I am working with. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like you mentioned anywhere from infants to like maybe older teens that you're you're dealing with and helping them cope. So um, the Everyday Strong program, we're a program about emotional resiliency. So of course, I'm really curious about how these kids are dealing with um, their challenges and how that affects their mental health. Like based off of your experience, like do you feel like, you know, a hospitalization or a chronic illness, like what kind of impact does that have on kids' mental health? Maybe this is my theme of the of today, but it's it's broad, like everything. I feel like I've said that so many times already, but it it's it's such an interesting thing, and I don't know. Right there's there's kind of no wrong way to feel about having a chronic illness, right? Like it's heavy. It can be really awful some days. Some days you can feel normal and healthy. Um, so I think there's a broad range of how children react to having a chronic illness, you have those kiddos who are like, you know what, this is what it is. And I'm going to look like, I'm going to just, you know, focus on the positive, but you have other kiddos. And I don't think this is bad um, in any way that really are angry about it. They're upset that this has happened to them. And luckily I feel like mental health is starting to become a more common term we're using and we're finding you know, we're talking about it more. And so now we can start to like focus on it and say, how do we best support these kids' mental health? Because it just, it is a wide range. And even within the same child, it's such a huge range of how it affects them and what stage of development they're at. Because you, you know, you look at teenagers and one of the things they want to do is they want to fit in with their peers. They want to feel normal. They just, they just want to be a normal teenager and they don't want have, they don't want to have something that separates them um, or makes them different. And so when you have a chronic illness, especially if it's something physical that you can see or a disability that 
you know, is very like evident just if you're in a wheelchair or if you're undergoing chemo treatment and you lost your hair, that is really, really hard for many kids. You know, I'm talking about teens in this example, but just any child that has to go through some sort of change or feels different or knows that their life is different than their friends and they can start Mm -hmm. to feel that unfairness. There's just, it's just like, it's crazy. There's just like so much that a child can feel. And I think, um, you know, the younger the child, the less equipped they are to verbalize their feelings. And so it becomes like giving them tools and ways to process these strong feelings that they're feeling at such a young age, potentially, when they're like, yeah. you know, they, they might not have even learned how to label what it is to be mad, but they can be feeling that emotion and trying to help them express that is really important. So I'd say it just is like a broad scope um, of what we see at the hospital. Yeah, I would totally add from my own experience with my sister, what you're saying about like kids can sense that they're different from their peers. You know, it goes beyond those physical differences that you're mentioning, like losing your hair to cancer or being in a wheelchair. Like my sister, like she doesn't look like she has a heart condition, um, but it's still definitely like, you know, there's been some major differences in her life compared to her peers. Like my brother and I, we grew up like playing sports, being really active, and she's had to like stay away from contact sports because she's on yeah. a blood thinner and, um, you know, just doesn't have the same energy for those kind of things. And it really does set her apart from some of her peers who are very involved in athletics. And so I think she senses those differences. And um, like she's even mentioned how it's hard when, you know, all of her friends want to go out and like play volleyball. And she just doesn't she just doesn't have that same love of sports because of her own experience growing up. Yeah. And it it's so difficult, right? Because it might even be as simple as she doesn't have the energy to go to the movies, right? Like even sometimes just, you know, the car ride and maybe being in the sun is draining just the walk across the parking lot. You know, there are, you're right. Like there are so many ways that these kids can feel separated from their peers and just, and it could even be right. Like maybe they really want to go to the movies, but they know that they just don't have the energy to do it. And it's, you know, that one thing, like one less experience that they can have with their, um, with their peers. Yeah, for sure. And I I think what you were mentioning before about the importance of validating those feelings, like helping kids find the words to express even those negative emotions that they're feeling is so, so important because, those feelings are complicated. Like I know my sister has felt a lot of gratitude for like the fact that she has such a normal life, but at the same time, like it still comes at a cost. And so just, there are definitely some really complicated emotions that come with chronic illness that I think you're right. Like most kids at such a young age are not prepared to manage some of those feelings on their own. Yeah. And I would say like, you know, um, what's funny is I didn't mention this before, but I also grew up with a sibling with a chronic illness, um, which is why I was really interested in this field. And just like the whole family dynamic, as I'm sure you're aware, is affected by this, right? Because as much as maybe we're focusing on the patients, like all of this could be focused on the siblings as well, because I remember being younger and as, you know, as crazy as it may seem, I remember almost being jealous of my sister because of the attention she was getting, Mm, right? Like, yes. my sister is getting all of this attention and, you know, looking at it now, I understand that because I was a young kiddo and, you know, I wanted the attention too, but so much of it was focused on her because it needed to be. 
But that's a hard thing to understand when you're little. Like, it's hard to see that. And so just, you know, the whole dynamic between siblings as well um, is affected. And I think siblings, in some ways, need just as much support, you know, as the patient does. Because they're there's like a dynamic there too that needs to be addressed. And there is that weird, you know, there's like that guilt that can come into play and yeah, just yeah. a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. Let's, let's switch over and talk about more of that kind of like how this is affecting the family and it's specifically the parents. So with everyday strong, we talk about this hierarchy of needs that we have and the bottom pyramid at uh, the bottom level of that pyramid is physical needs. So like Food, shelter, you know, like that physical safety, the rest that you need. Um, And then after that comes some emotional needs, like the need to feel safe, connected and confident. How I feel like, you know, especially kind of seeing this play out in my own family, it can be become really easy to focus on the physical needs of a medically complex child because there's medications to manage and there's doctor's appointments and there's you know, special diets or, you know, all these different things that are so focused on maintaining that physical health. But what what kind of emotional needs um, have you seen in the population that you work with? Um, it's <laughs> just, you know, there's so many emotional needs for this because there's, I, and maybe this isn't quite an emotion, but there's the need for normalcy. There's the need for routine. There's mm-hmm. the need for, like you said, feeling safe, but there's also this need, and maybe with this population, it's kind of at a younger age to start to learn how to label emotions, start to learn how to process this, those emotions and to do, and to like, how do you cope in a healthy way with some of these very strong feelings? And a lot of that for parents, I would say to show children that is through, um, is through modeling so mm. I know in my experience at the hospital, some parents uh, really have this instinct, which, which, you know, is, seems normal. Like your parents, you want to protect your child and you even want to protect them sometimes from your own feelings about a certain situation. Yeah. But I would say that it's actually very beneficial most of the time to express that emotion, you know, model for your children what it is like to have a strong emotion and then how you cope with that. I'm really angry today. When I'm really angry, I put on my headphones and I listen to some really loud music, you know, or I'm going to go take a walk around the block to take a moment for myself. Because when you model those emotions to your children, they get the sense that it's okay to feel these strong emotions. And then you're modeling that next step of then what do I do with this strong emotion? Right. Because you can't hit your brother, (laughs) you know, like that's not going to work. Like maybe you have a pillow that you hit or, you know, like just like letting like not stifling the emotions, but letting them feel it and just channel that into some healthy way to express that emotion, I think is really, really important. And I definitely encourage parents to model that behavior. And you can do it when you're happy. You can do it for anything. But to say even like, I'm sad today, we got some hard news from the doctor, and I'm sad. And this is what I'm going to do with my sadness, or I'm scared. And I think once you start showing that I children will respond to that and be like, oh, okay, I can feel this and then I can do something about it. And it might not necessarily change my situation, but I, I can express myself and that alone Mm -hmm. can help. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it fits so well into, 
you know, we, we, when we talk about emotional safety in our resilience framework, we often kind of use this phrase of um, being safe to feel. And that includes the full spectrum of emotions. Like we don't, we want kids to feel okay. Like that we want kids to feel safe to express feelings of anger and of resentment or of sadness, like, or of grief. Like those are all important parts of the human experience. And when we can have, when we can experience a full range of emotions, we're better able to confront our challenges. For sure. I'm so grateful I get to be here with you twice a month talking about these big questions and concerns. And I'm especially grateful that our sponsor, Revere Health, makes it possible for us to do this work. We'll be back with more of this interview right after this break. What does it mean to offer the best health care? At Revere Health, we believe it means improving patient health outcomes, keeping costs affordable for you and your family, and being your partner in healthcare decision making. With 30 medical specialties, including family medicine, and over 100 clinics throughout Utah, Revere Health is here for you. Revere Health, your partner in health, your partner for life. Find out more at reverehealth.com. So I'm really curious, besides modeling kind of a response to a scary emotion, what are some other things that maybe parents can do? Maybe what are some things that you help kids with in your work do to ma- like to to manage these strong emotions that they're having related to their chronic illness? So to help them manage it, I, we <laughs> we use a lot of different types of activities, um, you know, I think one of my favorites that can be really fun is we have this really simple bow and arrow set. Like it's not, there's no sharp objects at all. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll like write emotions on paper and then put all of these emotions on the wall and then we'll shoot the bow and arrow at the, um, like at the different emotions. Um, we have, we make slime and we have Play-Doh and you can like mash it and we can build towers and knock them all down. Um, there's just a bunch of different ways that we use like toys and play and things to get these strong emotions out. Um, and it can just, it, I like, sometimes you just put a big piece of paper on the wall and let kids like throw paint at it and just kind of yeah. that energy that way. Um, so sometimes it gets pretty messy, but I think in the end it's, you know, beneficial kind of for everybody that was involved. So that's like some things that we like some of the activities I can think of off the top of my head. You know, what? I I love that because I feel like, you know, thinking about those activities from our resilience framework perspective, like they're taking in the it's like a sensory experience, right? Like you're experiencing both the emotion and the physical sensation of like smashing the Play-Doh. And a lot of times kids do need that physical outlet um, I also love how it's something to be done with a caring adult. And I think that connection is really important as well as you're working on managing those emotions. Knowing that you're doing it with another person is really helpful. Yes, totally agree. Because you you always want it to be safe, right? Like there's nobody who doesn't want them to be safe and create that space. And I think it's fun for them when they're like, oh, there's someone older here and I still get to do this crazy thing that like... It just seems silly and weird, but it really is helpful. Yeah. 
Um, I want to kind of, we've talked a lot about the, the hardships of chronic illness and some of the challenges that these youth are facing. Um, I kind of want to switch over to kind of like that positive side of things as well. Like, how have you seen in your work kids um, being resilient in the face of some incredible health challenges or emotional challenges? Oh, my goodness. The number of ways that these kiddos can be resilient. It's it's impressive, right? Because we're talking about how to instill this in kids. But sometimes I think, you know, kids might just come with like this uh, like already in themselves and we're just kind of supporting their resilience. Um, I just ha- like there are so many different ways where I've seen I've seen kids get really hard information and just go, OK, like what's our next step? Like, how do we where do we go from here? And and taking the information and pause and even sometimes be the ones that support their parents hearing hard news. I've seen. um like little kids are so funny, right? Because they can get some really difficult information and because they might not understand it fully or they it just takes them longer to process it, they might just go and play, you know? And so mm-hmm. they're, and it's, and play is such a way for them to process their emotions. So that's actually really normal for them to hear something difficult and then run away and play. And parents are always like, I don't think they heard me. And I'm like, yeah, they did this. This is just how kids process information. I know it's weird for us, but- I, they're just, that's really interesting. It's so just so hard for me to explain because I feel like every child I interact with is resilient in their own unique way. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's just kind of amazing to watch and to be a part of it. And I wish I could come up with specific examples, but (laughs) they're just not coming to me at the moment. Um, but I just say like, they're just, they surprise me almost every day at work. Yeah, I feel like, you know, my sister's experiences, she's 19 now, well, a couple weeks away from being 19. So she has officially kind of, you know, left that childhood stage. Um, and I would definitely say her experiences, um, she she's an incredibly resilient person. And I feel like it's given her a lot of maturity that so many people don't get until you know, years and years later down the life. I mean, she's totally still a child at heart in some ways. Um, Like she loves her Marvel, you know, stuff and she loves her musicals and there, there, there are plenty of ways she's still a child at heart. But I mean, she has, she has some incredible maturity when it comes to like, you know, understanding like (laughs) that we're all, we all have um, like, we're all mortals in this existence. Like she's had three open three open heart surgeries. And I feel like, you know, that that's some pretty heavy stuff. Like, you know, her last one, she was about 12, I think. And going into that, I think she had a, a much greater understanding of what the risks were. And she knew that what those risks were and kind of proceeded anyways. Um, and that to me, that's really incredible because, you know, how many adults like don't really understand like what it means to like have such a fragile existence here. Um, I definitely sure. think that is a, a really cool way that she's been resilient. Yeah, I would definitely say that they, when hearing hard information or, you know, being confronted with what you're saying is like your own mortality. Um, again, I think some children are so young that they don't quite understand what that means. Yeah. Um, and so actually part of my job sometimes is to explain what that means 
because um like you actually the liter the research is kind of changing a little bit but you know a four or five year old doesn't really understand what it means to die so when you have a kiddo in that situation you kind of have to walk them through it really really slowly and then as you get older you understand more and more of it but it really is the case that those kids who I call them the teenagers who really understand the meaning of death and kind of can see it there Mm -hmm. it's 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 interesting and you know sad and just kind of crazy and amazing in some ways to watch what they do with that information and how they come to terms with it whether it's a spiritual way whether it's just kind of focusing on family sometimes kids make bucket lists and they get a lot of like they go out and do a ton of things and it's just it's just kind of like an honor sometimes to be a part of that experience and to support them in whatever way I can. Um, but you're right. It's not, it's not something that uh, many adults are often like faced with as they grow up, you know, cause that's mm-hmm. a difference too. Like you're faced with that over and over again, potentially as you're growing into an adult, um, which I think is interesting to think about. Yeah. I think, I think there's plenty of things that we can learn from kids in these situations. Like you've already mentioned, like, They have their own unique ways of coping, and there's a lot to be learned from that. And I love how it's you're also picking up on the fact that resilience is so individual. Um, And I personally think resilience has a lot to do with our network as well, like the people that we have in our lives supporting us. I'm sure you know you're an important part of that network for any child um, going through a lengthy hospital stay or anything like that. and so I think it's really important. Not only do we rely on kids to kind of find that inner strength, but that we create that loving and supportive network around them to help them build that resilience. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So I, this has been a really interesting conversation, Davi. I kind of want to end by maybe putting you on the spot a little bit and asking you, you know, if you could give parents of kids with chronic illness any, like maybe like three three pieces of advice, like what would you say to parents of a child with a medical condition or a medically complex child? Um, I think the first thing I would tell parents is uh, take care of yourselves (laughs) too. Um, I think parents can obviously become so focused on their children and worrying about the patient, worrying Mm -hmm. about the siblings. And I think you have to remember to give yourself some grace. You're going through an incredibly hard thing too. And you need to find your ways to cope and find your ways to process this these hard things. And I think if you can give yourself the space to do that, you can um, then come back to your children and be better equipped to support them. Because you, this is, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's a long road. Like you said, your sister's now 19, but you guys have grown up with this. And so it's just give yourself some grace and it's okay to have your off days. So I think that yeah. would, that's, that's probably the first piece of advice I'd have um, for the parents mm-hmm. out there. I think the second thing is to remember that your kids are resilient. And so one bad day isn't going to shape their entire future, they bounce back. And so again, maybe this is going along with give yourself some grace, but just know that um, it's okay. Like it's, it's okay to have those moments, those times um, 
where things just feel really hard um, and it's okay to have that space for yourself. And I think I just say, you know, you know your child best, you know your children best mm-hmm. and trust your gut instinct a lot of times. And it's okay to ask the doctors extra questions. It's okay to reach out and ask for more support or ask for other answers and just trust yourself as a parent because at the hospital, we we do have lots of advice and it does hopefully come from research or come from experience. Um, and we're doing this from a place of wanting to support families in the best way possible. Um, but we always, or we do our best to respect that the uh, that the parent or the caregiver knows their child the best. And so trust that instinct that you have with them. Um, Because I think, you know, from my experience, I never, I have never run across a parent where it is not so obvious how hard they are trying and how much they love their child. And that looks different for everyone. So also maybe, you know, don't compare what works for a different family is may not work for yours and that's okay. And we're here to support you to find what works for you so that we can help you through like a really hard time. Yeah. Honestly, everything I just heard there, I think applies to parents in all situations. You know, obviously parents with a medically uh, complex child are in a really unique situation, but that advice about, you know, take care of yourself, you know, trust your instincts Know that your child is resilient and one bad day doesn't affect that future. Um, I think that can be applied to every child in every situation for sure and every parent. Right. Yep. Definitely. All right, Davi. Well, it was so great to talk to you. I've loved that we've been able to connect over the shared um, experience growing up with with a sibling with chronic illness. And I'm really hopeful that this... This podcast episode will speak to those parents that, you know, need that reassurance, you know, because it really is so difficult. I've seen how hard it is for my parents, you know, with my sister. And I I really hope that this this podcast episode can be helpful because I know there are more kids out there than we realize that are struggling with these kind of issues. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Have a great day. If this episode resonated with you. You can check out our free resilience handbooks and online learning at www.everydaystrong.org. These tools tell you exactly what you can do to help the kids in your life feel safe, connected, and confident. You can choose to create a relationship with your children that will help them to learn to be resilient, regardless of the challenges life throws their way.